Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. So it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a company where you are the only employee or you have a larger company or you have and you have a team, you are the CEO and the founder and you're responsible for driving the results of the business. And you cannot do that if you don't know your numbers. This is The Real Bottom Line where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Well, hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. Today, my special guest is Tracy Bissett. I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you, Wendy. It's my pleasure to be here. Yes, we, um, we've done a few interviews before, back and forth on different things. So it's kind of exciting because I'm wearing the interview questions. Usually you're in that chair. so. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so this is a show for entrepreneurs and you're an entrepreneur. And I always love to hear people's story about how they got into business for self. Well, uh, I st was very entrepreneurial from a really young age. So uh, lots of that in my background. Um, we bonded a lot over junior achievement. That was a big part of my teen years and really got me interested in business. Um, but then when I went on to business school and I got hired by TD Bank and I worked for them for a long time, which I, I thought when I joined, I'd, I'd sign up for one year, two years, see how it went. And then I would go and work somewhere else. Uh, fast forward 16 years. And, and that was a, a nice long career working with great people in the organization and um, great clients. And I was really focused on the areas of commercial lending. So helping entrepreneurs and business owners get access to financing. And for about eight years, I approved loans of all different sizes all across Canada, wow. some in the US, across all different industries. And then as it does happen in big corporations, there was restructuring and my seat was taken away from the, the org structure. And so instead of jumping into another institution and doing the same kind of work, I took some time to think about what would I like to do. And, and so I packaged up all the things that I love. Um, so helping people learn about money, teaching, coaching, um, and really wanting to stay uh, servicing entrepreneurs. And then I also work with young adults and uh, created Bissett Financial Fitness in 2016. Oh my gosh, so it's only been five years. That's amazing. You've come so far. I, I have to say that is the nicest way I've ever heard of a, a, a seat taken away from the orchard. <laughs> <laughs> I must remember that at some point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the time, it, it wasn't um, what I was necessarily looking for, um, but I wasn't thrilled. I, I loved the people I was working with and I liked the work, but it was a really grueling schedule. I was about um, 60 to 80 hours a week in the office. Yeah. Um, so it was a lot. And um, wasn't necessarily the happiest that I could be. So it uh, gave me a good opportunity to pause and think about what would be um, better for me going forward because still have lots of years to work. So how can I make that into something I love? Right. Uh, I have to say too, is that I like that you, you did take that pause because um, it's so important sometimes to look at a change in the positive way. So I think that's great. Um, when it comes to financial literacy and money coaching, what is it about that that you like to do? Like, what are the, what is it, what are you trying to affect? 
So I know that when you can understand your financial position, when you're not emotional about money, it really changes the trajectory of your life. And I was really fortunate. I grew up in a household where we talked about money all the time, Mm -hmm. Um, not in kind of a a lecturing kind of way, but it was just a natural part of the conversation and the discussion. My dad was a a longtime banker at BMO and and my mom was really fiscally responsible. Like I remember her creating the grocery list and, and I itemizing everything. She only went to the store every two weeks on my dad's payday. Um, we had one car. Um, like we, we talked about all those kinds of things. And so sometimes I'd ask for money and, and they would say, well, we have money, but not for that, Tracy. So when I was wanting to go and, and buy treats at the store all the time, once a week, sure, you can have the quarter or 50 cents, but you're not going every day on our money. Um, so understanding all of that stuff. And when you have that kind of nice framework, it, it leads your life in, in a direction. And so many people don't have that. And, and not that it's anyone's fault because uh, our school systems do a really poor job of teaching people about money uh, personally, as well as for their business finances. Then it falls to parents and they're not equipped because where would they have learned? And so we've got all this kind of finger pointing about who's supposed to teach people. And there's not really this one central place. And so um, I I did lots of volunteer work during my time at TD uh, with young people in particular to help uh, take some of those basic concepts and make them more into reality. And I just wanted to carry on with that. So it's been part of my lifelong mission and will continue to be to help people as long as they can take one more step towards understanding things and build their financial foundation, they're going to see a change in their life, which allows them to do them whatever they want to do. And that's the key. Everybody's got different goals. Yeah, everyone is so different. There's not a cookie cutter approach that works in that respect. Now, and and I thought, so you did start a podcast. So you've been podcasting. I think you just hit 200 episodes, didn't you, on your Young Money podcast? I did. We started in December 2017. And um, I see Colleen's on, uh, are here. Um, And I uh, started that and I was not keen on podcasting. I was scared. I was worried about the the technology. I was worried about uh, all kinds of things. Was Were people going to listen? How was my voice going to sound? And I just came out of like a super corporate environment where you do things in a box. Um, you, you get vetted for everything you're going to say. And so it was a big departure for me, but absolutely one of the best things um, that I've ever done. It's so fun. Um, we do a show every week. Uh, three and a half years strong and our show is geared towards 18 to 30 ish and people who love them uh, because we've got a lot of parents and grandparents who listen and we just try to make things make sense and uh, have fun with it um, which is good. Who was your favorite guest so far? Well you of course. (laughs) (laughs) Other than me. Can't really pick one Uh, we have so many nice diverse perspectives and we really try to cover everything that we we can cover so that people get factual, credible information. And um, while everyone is usually kind of judgy about money, I try to lay out frameworks that people can use to ask themselves questions to make decisions. So we've had some great shows um, when we had one of the, the foremost uh, experts in Canada around blockchain and cryptocurrency, Alan Wincha. Um, like that was a huge learning experience for me and trying to interview someone who has such in-depth knowledge about this thing that's kind of intangible. And we did that a few years ago. We've been digging into cryptocurrency uh, more in the last year, non-fungible tokens, uh, and just really digging into everything. And it's the stories and the learnings that really make the episodes great because uh, our listeners don't need to make their own mistakes. They can learn from the mistakes of others and do other new mistakes. Uh, And if a story helps 
helps people learn. Uh, that's great. I love music as well. So I tie lots of shows into musical um, celebrities that we would see out there and what we can learn from them because we can learn about money from pretty much everybody. Yeah, I think the key thing there is that at least you're talking about money and taking some of that out because when you talk about taking about the emotion out of money, so much of it is because we've been trained for so long that it's a it's at a subject we should never talk about it's impolite. Absolutely. And um, as I said, I grew up in a household, we talked about it. Um, but I learned probably at the age of seven that money was something that could help you get the things you wanted or the experiences you wanted. So it wasn't that elegant in my mind at that time or that rational. Mm. Um, but I was unemotional about it because I thought, okay, I get money, I can do this. I can set these goals, set these plans, and I'll just get the money and I'll do it. And that's how I, I've operated my life. And so um, not to say that it never happens where there's no emotion around it, um, but certainly I've I've been able to be a little bit more objective about it. But that ha that doesn't happen to most people when you're that age. Um, that's when your views form, but that's not usually the view that's forming at that time. Well, as I often say, whether you're overtly taught about money, you are taught about money sure. uh, in the household as you grow up. So, and sometimes I think when we are, I'm talking to couples about money, I say, okay, there's six of us at the table right now. <laughs> and exactly. so uh, we have to kind of be able to realize that our parents have subconsciously programmed us that we, and good and bad. So we have to recognize that. Well, sir, certainly, and I've done lots of work. Um, I did some volunteering with Girl Guides, volunteering with Big Sisters for a long time. And two things that really stand out, I had one little girl in Sparks, so those five to seven-year-olds, she was five. And when she was asked about what does she think about money, she tells me it's evil. What does a five-year-old know about money in the first place? But something's going on in that household that she thinks it's evil. So there might be yelling, there might be crying, door slamming, what have you. Um, when I had a little sister, 11 years old, uh, we went to this event and, and she had to do a little diary about, um, and there was a section about money. And so she was showing me her diary and little notes from the day. And um, when my mom uses her credit card, she cries in her room at night is what she's writing in her book. So she has a bit more understanding about money, um, but she's already equated credit card, bad, crying, lots of collection calls were happening, I know. Um, so all that stuff that maybe parents don't think that kids are noticing, they're, they're picking up everything and it's forming their views around money. I'd like to shift a little bit into entrepreneurs and I, I want to keep that thread because a little bit because I think about how so many entrepreneurs are building businesses that they want their families to take over. And I say, well, then how are you talking about your day at the dinner table? Exactly. Right. Because if you're only complaining about how bad and how much you had to do, what what why would any child want to take that business over? So true. And um, I, I've been fortunate. I've worked with a, a lot of entrepreneurs where it's the the parent generation and the, the child who's going to take it over. So the adult child um, where we're doing a financial education mandate and they're they're sharing the experience to all bring up their financial acumen, but it's also then to how can they help the, the, the person who's taking it over prepare and how yeah. can they set things up for the best transition possible. Uh, and it's really fun. It's usually um, uh, the moms and the sons or the moms and the daughters. Uh, the dad is in the background, but he's not always uh, visible to me or interacting with me. He's interacting with them, but uh, a lot of times it's the moms and the sons or the moms and the daughters. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, when you think back to your role when you were doing the commercial loans and all those types of things, you must have seen 
so many things that people were doing right and people were doing wrong from an entrepreneur perspective. When you think back to that time, and of course you're bringing those lessons to your clients today, but what were some of the biggest mistakes you saw entrepreneurs making um, back then in particular? Um, so first one is not taking accountability for the financial position of the business. So it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a company where you are the only employee or you have a larger company or you have, and you have a team, you are the CEO and the founder and you're responsible for driving the results of the business. And you cannot do that if you don't know your numbers. So I usually see people fall into one or two camps. One, um, I'm just going to work really hard and things will work out. I'm going to uh -huh. put my head in the sand and it's going to be okay. Or I've got this accountant and bookkeeper or both, and they're just handling it. So I don't need to worry. Um, you don't need to do it alone and certainly should make use of professionals, but you need to know what those numbers say. You need to be asking questions about them and using them to drive forward in your, in your business to hit your goals. Um, it's like if you're, you're driving in the car and you don't know where you're going. Um, if you don't know the numbers, you can't really get to any, any destination in mind. Um, How can you be deliberate about growing your business if you don't know what's going on? Absolutely. And it brings more stress and anxiety because there's so much fear about the unknown. But when you actually can quantify what the numbers are, if there is a problem, then you can move into proactive, let's do problem mm. solving. Um, yeah. which it takes away some of that mental health challenge, some of that anxiety, which impacts then all your relationships as well as your health. Um, the next thing I see, uh, which is so common, and I particularly with the clients I work with, so they're generally sales up to about 2 million across all industries. Um, they're not getting regular paychecks. And 85% of the time, I would say the culprit is their pricing. And so they've never actually looked into how much does it cost me to deliver this product or service? What is my overhead? So those costs you've got to pay, whether or not you make any sales. And so when we do that deep dive into pricing, we can quickly see um, one, uh, we're not making money. Um, it's usually a modification. It's not like throwing out everything that we're doing and, and starting from scratch. And if anybody's listening, who's thinking about starting a business, taking the time up front to do a business plan, even an abbreviated version, uh, to make sure that you're targeting the right client, that they're willing to pay what you need to charge, um, and that your offer is sound, whether it's a product or service. And if not, do some modifications at that point so you don't get into the business and, and waste a lot of time and money. Uh, but it's never too late to do that check. Anybody can do that at any time. And then you might be targeting, your messaging might change a little bit. You yeah. might uh, offer it a little bit differently. You might up the price. You might um, package it a whole different way. Uh, and so that's, that's the, the nuts and bolts of it. But then the other part that happens is, so even though we might work together and come up with the brand new pricing structure, then it comes back to what we were talking about when you were a kid and you learned about money and can you stand there in front of your client and actually ask for the different price? Are, are you having that worthy? belief, yeah. having that belief that you're worth it? So that's where I think the emotional piece comes in is believing that, oh, this I'm worth this price. Absolutely. And so we have lots of well-intentioned friends and family members as entrepreneurs, and we might be thinking about what are they thinking about us? Some are going to be very vocal and say, you think you're worth that really? I've known you since you were a kid. How can you be charging that much? And that's all the stuff people say to us. Um, and so sometimes we have to say, you know what? I love you, um, but I don't want to talk about my business with you. I, I love to hang out, love to, to spend time with you, but that's, that's kind of off limits. So um, great that you're thinking about me and my business, but maybe just keep your, your two cents to yourself. And then we've got to have those talks with ourselves too, because we've yeah. got to be able to stand behind um, and articulate the value and not have that 
uh, anxiousness around it and it's practice. So it's, Absolutely. it's not something you do overnight. No, I also think that um, having that pricing digging in and understanding because you know some of the analysis we've done too is like we'll even go how long how long is it going to take you to develop this program how long is it going to take you to sell each one how long is it going to take you do you have to drive to deliver this program mm -hmm. you know and people don't think of all those things sometimes when they're looking at how they're pricing and what should be included in that for sure and service-based um, professionals as well um, not charging for their time properly because it's mm -hmm. their business they can work as much as they want so I really encourage my clients to think about okay, you're getting bigger, you're growing your business. What's the minimum you have to pay someone else to do it? And that's at least how much you've got to factor into your cost structure yeah. for the time um, yeah. because nobody's coming to work for you for free. So that's not a negotiable point. This is truth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm short on volunteers myself here, Tracy. <laughs> um, so when you think about... Um, your journey in the last five years of entrepreneurship, what's been your biggest win? I would say creating something out of nothing. Um, mm. That's pretty exciting. And then like the podcast is one of those testaments to that, like doing something I never thought I would do, not even in the, the possibilities of what I ever thought. Uh, and just creating this business and this um, brand and being known for someone who's passionate about helping people learn about money and being credible and a, a respected figure in that has been um, probably my, my biggest um, thing out of it. And then the, the joy that comes out of seeing the, the light bulb go on and people mm -hmm. gain the confidence that they can do it. Because I'm all about, I do consulting as well, but primarily coaching is where I love to play and transfer the skills I have to others and just seeing the excitement. Because uh, people can go from I never want to look at numbers. I don't want to do it to, this isn't so bad to, oh my gosh, look what I did. And I'm like a financial detective. And it doesn't take very long for that to change to actually happen and to, to see that. And that that's the exciting part for me. Taking the fear out of the numbers, right? Um, and that they're not, they're not scary things. <laughs> I want to just the symbols on a piece of paper. And for me, if we can't talk about your business and we can't get to the bottom of any issues on paper, Mm -hmm. we, then we've got a bigger problem. We're making it too complicated. So I, I try to do it from a discussion and we, we start just on paper. Yeah, then we're going to go to your software and we're going to go to the spreadsheets. But if we can't get to the fundamentals and just through a conversation and some quick calculations, we're yeah. making it too hard for ourselves. Very much so. Um, what do you think has been your hardest lesson in the last five years? Oh, accepting help, number one. Um, Ooh, building, that's a good team, one, yeah. building team is hard. Um, I like to do things alone uh, and that's not possible because there's too many things to do. Um, so finding the right people, um, whether it's people who support me in my business and, and we do have a small team, but we work with other um, support contractors as well, uh, as well as finding the right people with the right knowledge. And um, another big challenge when I started was to increase my network uh, and support system because I had lots of friends who had corporate jobs who now don't understand what I'm doing. They're, they're supportive, but they don't really care uh, what you're doing. Um, they can't help you because they don't know the things that now you're faced with. And so that was a big, big part of it, um, making sure to to do networking events, find the right people. And it takes a while to find the right people. 
because you need you need people who can support you who who've been where you've been kind of in the same stage and it's great to help people who are coming behind you as well um, but finding the right people um, so that you can get the right information and just giving up that perfection i, I would say is the final mm. part because <laughs> i like to do things things very precisely and my last role at the bank was doing a lot of work for the um external directors of TD Bank. So everything was pristine and perfect. And yeah. we did um, things for the, the senior executives. So the top 10, 12 people of the bank um, on the risk committee. So risk management numbers, perfect. Um, lots of attention to that. And then when you go into your own business, that standard is not attainable um, by any means, unless you've got a lot of money and a lot of people uh, supporting <laughs> you. So um, definitely still a, a, a challenge, but working on that. I always joke the thing I missed about a real, uh, I call it a real job is, is tech support and a regular paycheck. <laughs> um, so that's an interesting piece there around the journey of letting go of perfection. How did you get there? Because I mean, you came into uh, wanting into the role straight out, like you said, you're in this role of perfection is table stakes. And now you're in a role, now you've moved into a world where, you know, if we can get to 80%, we should really definitely ship, ship that. So how did you shift? How did you do that? Coaching was one. Yeah. <laughs> so having other people around to advise me and, and kind of lay it out, um, reflecting on like how things were going was important. So doing those check-ins, because at the beginning, things rolled out pretty slow. And when you need to make money, it was fine when I was on my, my nice severance because I worked for an organization for a long time. So I had a nice healthy severance, but realizing you've got to make money. And if it means choosing more sales calls and more client work versus perfecting my podcast, that's, what's got to cut because we've got to make money to make this viable, mm. especially as you grow your team, you're responsible for other people. Um, and I would say also understanding the way that things are and, and going from that, what was the expectation and what was um, kind of the baseline in the corporate environment to in the entrepreneurial world. Um, my 80% is really good, but yeah. getting, getting to that place and understanding that um, and not over-preparing at times, like I might've done in the past where, where you needed to be 100%, 95% is pretty good. And so getting that um, confidence then in yourself um, that came over time and um, still, still a journey, still trying to uh, balance that, but um, you can certainly take steps to, to uh, manage that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think even recognizing that you don't need to be in and accepting that is probably yeah. the biggest part of that journey, right? Yeah. And then if you start working, um, my, my EA who just finished up with me, she would be like, oh my gosh, you're doing things that are due tomorrow. I'm like, I am. Yes. Uh, well, that's stressful. I'm like, it is if you make it stressful. <laughs> and so, Yes. Would I have loved to be done this two weeks ago? Absolutely. But that's not the reality that we're currently living in. So I can get myself in a frenzy or I can sit down and focus and get it done. So it's well done for tomorrow. And so right. being able to kind of talk to yourself, but then also if you've got people around you who are anxious around it, um, explaining to them and, and talking to them as well so that everybody's kind of on the same page. Exactly. Uh, one of my favorite questions I like to ask sometimes, if you could go back, uh, let's just go back even to 2016 and you go, what would have been a book you wish you had read or a TED talk you'd seen or some sort of, what's an, an educational piece that you said, oh my God, I wish I'd seen that earlier when I started. 
Oh, so many good ones. I think probably I would pick out atomic habits um, Ooh, or the one or the one thing and really getting drilled down and more disciplined around routines and um, focus. Because certainly in 2016, I was kind of all over the place doing all kinds of things. And um, that was slower to enable things to come. Um, but that was also part of the, the process, figuring out exactly what I was going to do. Um, but if I had a little bit more focus on that and, and discipline to the core elements, I think it would have sped up the progress in the business. Yeah, I, I really did enjoy the atomic habits. I, I, there was a few pieces there, um, in particular around um, the goals versus the process to change the goals. That was particularly um, mind-blowing for me, thinking about you know, I, I related it back to a time I, um, I ran the half marathon um, and I trained for that. I ran it in a hurricane. It was terrible. And then I never <laughs> ran again for two years. So like I didn't get a habit of running whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> so those are really good lessons for people to, to listen to, to watch. Um, when you think about going forward, what's next for Tracy Bissett? Um, we want to um, continue to grow the number of people I'm supporting in my, my coaching uh, from an entrepreneurial standpoint. So enrolling more people into our cash control bootcamp, um, as well as more one-on-one -on -one clients, really to just expand that reach because I know what an impact it makes. Uh, when you have that foundation of, of knowledge. And so really want to expand that. We've got a couple um, books in the works. Um, so one is probably two thirds done. We've got a, a young 12 month money planner for our young adult audience who listens to our podcast. Oh, nice. Um, so we're, we're getting that finalized um, to be out later this year. And then I've got in the works um, a cash flow book for entrepreneurs. So with some case studies and certainly um, demystifying and, and making those concepts super clear. So it's easy to put those concepts in, into practice because uh, that's another one of those mistakes I see entrepreneurs make. They, they focus on their income statement and their sales and their expenses. And yes, I'm making profit. Um, but then how does that translate to cash flow? And, and certainly it doesn't always line up exactly. So um, being able to make that really accessible is, is in the works. And, and I think that even understanding that sometimes you can grow too fast, that from growth is hungry, yeah. right? Growth, so. growth is super hungry. And, and so if you've got to invest in inventory or you've got a lot of receivables and people are paying you later, those are just basically piles of money on the floor. If you think about it that way. Piles of money on the floor, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, I'd like to open up the floor for any questions. Um, so anyone in the audience today have a question? You just have to unmute yourself. Oh, look, we answered all their questions, Tracy. This is good. Well, one thing I would like to add is the, the thing I see entrepreneurs doing well. And so mm, when they, when they come, to, come to work with me, um, they'll say, I'm terrible at numbers. I, I was never good at math. I don't know anything about the financial side of my business. And so I'll ask them how long they've been in business. And if they tell me anything longer than kind of like three, four months, I will advise them to give themselves a pat on the back because they know how to manage cash flow. Right. Say, no, I don't. Well, if you've been in business and you've been around for any length of time, especially when you're getting to multiple years of business, um, you know how to do it. You know how to make sure you've got money to pay your bills when you need it. You're following up. You're getting collections somehow. You might not talk about it the way I do. You may not manage it very efficiently and you might not be very good at it, but you're doing it. And so that's where we start. And we start from the positive and build on that foundation to go forward. 
So people are usually surprised that they are, are, are doing something well, um, but they are. Exactly. And I think that what happens for what I see a lot is that at a certain point, it's, it's time that they need that formality and that structure, because without that, they're not going to be able to have significant growth without having those numbers in hand and a, and a structure and a process for dealing with their numbers. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have to say that this has been a fantastic talk around numbers and financial literacy. Oh, I didn't ask you about financial literacy. Any final thoughts on financial literacy, financial confidence, and some sources where people may be able to go to find information? Uh, so some great resources for business owners, um, check out the Business Development Bank of Canada site. It is a great um, treasure trove of uh, shells, templates, resources. They even have a kind of a little financial management game where you can check your knowledge. Um, so it is like a game. So that's a great resource. Uh, Startup uh, Canada is another great place to go for information. They've got startup chats, happens every Wednesday on Twitter. Um, experts come and, and answer questions, but they've got all kinds of specialized programming. Um, they've just launched something new around exporting. So that's a great um, resource mm -hmm. as well. They also had launched earlier this year and they're still continuing to do it in some part uh, where you can get access to mentors free. So um, experts, um, so I, I did it in the month of March and I continue to work with them on their startup chats, um, but they have a, a mentoring platform where you can go and look for an expert in an area that you need to learn about and you can contact them to book some time with them. So there's so many great resources in Canada, um, financial as well as just general tips for your business where you can get access to the help you need as long as you ask. So don't be shy about asking for help. And it's okay to say, I don't know what I'm going to ask. I just know I need to talk to somebody. That's a great point. And I want to also say what I like about those resources, Tracy, is that they're free of bias. Um, yes. Because a lot of things out there in the Facebook world and other social media channels, there may be a point of view in behind that you're not aware of uh, a different level. So always check where you're getting your information from as well on your what you should be exactly. tracking. Yeah. For Absolutely. Sure. Well, that has been another episode of the uh, Real Bottom Line, where the real bottom line is don't leave your money in piles on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tracy, so much. You are welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.